This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. G'day. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G. Science, fiction, fantasy, and historical radio for episode number one triple two. Ooh. We're into the triple digits there. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And today's podcast title is no our podcast title is where in the pod is carmen san diego and our title is oz zombie i've always wanted to use that one australian zombies because uh, actually the very first thing um i wanted to talk about today is um the australian zombie book Highway Bodies by Alison Evans. And it's an Echo publishing book, paperback, out now in all of the bookshops. So um, we're welcoming to the studio today Alison Evans, a Melbourne-based non-binary author whose parallel universe exploration novel Ida won the People's Choice Award at the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards. Alison's work has been published in Australian and international magazines, and they are also co-editor of the Concrete Queers magazine, a collaborative space for queer artists and creators. And oh, <laughs> you can find them on Twitter at underscore budgie or their website, which is alisonwritesthings.com. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, Alison. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey, a zombie novel, an Australian one. This is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is very refreshing, or perhaps the word is refleshing, to have a zombie novel set around Melbourne. So it's, it must be great fun to incorporate local spaces in the narrative. It is very fun. I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> now, I noticed that the previous book, uh, Ida, is also a genre novel and involves a character who can shift into parallel universes mm-hmm. and presumably find out um, what the alternatives to their actions are. And I'm just wondering, can they shift into the zombie verse as well? Probably, yeah. It, it, um, oh, no. That would be awful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you wrote it. I did. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, Now, with the the local um, areas, which seem to be a little bit uh, to the west and north, am I right? right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, Did you visit all the places? Uh, Kind of vaguely. Like, they're not really specific places except for Bandura mm-hmm. um, where one of my friends used to live and I was like <laughs> wow this could be zombified quite easily because <laughs> that's like um, right out in the end of the middle of the end of the, the tram line it's sort of like yeah it's very far <laughs> all the end of the line places make a good zombie hub I think yeah, yeah exactly you step off the pavement out yeah. of, the, out of the, the glow of the street lights there's only buses now <laughs> <laughs> what was formerly zone 3 <laughs> Yes. Oh. Z free. Now it's not Z free. Yeah. Um, 
I've noticed that a lot of post-apocalyptic novels now make full use of Google Maps and Street View. So mm. even if the authors haven't actually been there themselves, you can tell that they've done their research. There's a couple I've been reading recently where uh, one was set in Ireland and I was able to walk down the street as the adventure unfolded using mm-hmm. Google. Did you, you see any of that, any of that kind of modern technology? Um, not really. I think I was deliberately vague because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to like sort of bend real places to suit what I wanted the story to do. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think like when Jojo and Petra are running away, I name a couple of streets. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart from that, I sort of kept it deliberately vague. Do you, do you think that this um, novel would sell well overseas as well as Australia? Because local references, I always say, never have a zombie novel with, um, you know, references to some particular place in Australia that the Americans or the, the British aren't going to get. Mm, yeah, I, I hope so, but I don't know. Hmm. I think... An experiment. Yeah. <laughs> I notice that several of your characters come pre-damaged before the apocalypse. There's some abuse going on in some of the families and so on. Mm -hmm. Does this make them better or worse at surviving? I guess better, really. And Mm -hmm. I think also that's kind of... They don't want a return to uh, the previous world. They want a, a newer, better world to live in i think and that i guess that's a a good driving force really that's quite typical of a a lot of zombie novels there's the um and post-apocalyptic ones in general there's a sense that uh uh, it's like playing a game of cards that's going badly for you if you throw the whole hand in you get dealt a fresh one Mm -hmm. unfortunately it comes with gnashing teeth and (laughs) (laughs) that's always a catch isn't it yeah (laughs) Um, I couldn't help but smile that one of your groups is um, a band, a musical band that travels around in a van, mm-hmm. and, and it kind of reminds me just a little bit of Scooby-Doo and the Mystery Machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool. Were, were, um, were you thinking of any particular type of music when um, when they were cruising around in the band? I mean, what's, what's your soundtrack to the apocalypse? Oh, I don't know. I'm very into, like... Uh, the band churches at the moment mm. so it, I think it would be cool if they were like them <laughs> but I think when I wrote it I was very into um, my emo phase uh, so they're probably an emo band as well maybe like an emo churches I think that would be cool emo <laughs> I reckon that would sell <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just keep thinking if this was an, an American show they'd be going emo you mean those things with the long necks and the and the beaks that run around <laughs> Now, actually, there is a Scooby... It reminds me of the Scooby Apocalypse comics from DC. They actually have a post-apocalyptic Scooby-Doo. That sounds very cool. Zoinks. Now, okay, here's my big question for the day. Um, And it's a little bit of a statement as well. So I don't encounter a lot of LGBTQI characters in zombie fiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think in The Walking Dead had a gay couple recently. didn't end well, but then it never no. does for anybody. Yes. <laughs> um, although it would also be fair to say that it's not always an issue that's uppermost in most zombie procedural stories, mm. you know, sexuality of any kind. Uh, I don't have any data on whether or not it's an accidental or deliberate omission, but as we all know, representation does indeed matter, and I think that the lack of that is particularly noticeable in much apocalyptic fiction, mm-hmm. where omission can potentially send even a Darwinian message that LGBTQI characters don't have what it takes to survive. Can you unpack that for us? That's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, 
just being who I am, um, I couldn't not write queer characters because everyone I know is queer. And (laughs) um, I think especially writing teenage fiction, um, you sort of have to give, uh, I guess, hope that queer teens can survive and they're pretty good at it. Um, Yeah, I don't... Well, that's what I was thinking. Uh, as I was saying, several of the characters have lived challenging lives before they mm. get into the apocalypse. So yeah. I was wondering if that, like that, that kind of gives them a bit more oomph when it comes to facing the. Well, but then again, nobody is really suited to facing. <laughs> yeah, you don't know till you're faced with it. I guess yeah. maybe yeah. the Punisher. The Punisher had probably managed to survive an apocalypse quite well. You've survived yes. plenty before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so. Uh, I thought your procedural was pretty good, and that's everything to me mm-hmm. in reading a novel. Um, the characters do logical, well, for the most part, things. I mean, you know, there's always going to be something because people have to die in a zombie apocalypse. Yes. And teens are teens. And teens are teens, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Uh, I did like the fact that you had people hiding up trees. Oh, yeah. Which is such <laughs> a, a good sort of primal brain, you know, thing for human beings to do Mm. climb a tree yeah like i always wondered like you know watching zombie stuff it's like why are you running through the forest just climb climb the tree they Mm. can't get you Uh, i think i think the practical aspect it's all right for doing that at the time but when a thousand of them have swarmed the tree afterwards yeah that's a good point yeah (laughs) but that doesn't actually happen as far as i can tell in this one so that's all right (laughs) um sometimes the procedural makes me think about um a bit deeper like there's one character who supposes that she's going to lose track of time in this post-apocalyptic world mm-hmm. you know not the time of day the thing that the thing that marks our um our calendars that creates the way we work mm-hmm. you know those little bits of time that it meticulously kept track of uh, i was thinking well okay um yeah you know mobile phone and that's always a good sign of the apocalypse the phones go down yeah <laughs> That's, uh, that's, it's so funny because, you know, ha- having grown up earlier than the 21st century, mm-hmm. um, the signs of the apocalypse in fiction were not. The, yeah. the mo- <laughs> there were no mobile phones, so there are other signs. You receive a pigeon, <laughs> homing pigeon message. Yeah, sometimes, well, some, not that far back. <laughs> sometimes the, uh, the, the landlines mm. would mm-hmm. give you a busy signal or a dead signal at the other end, not yeah. an undead yeah. signal. But, you know, it's like, say without the phones, you lose um, the time on the phones. Mm-hmm. So, you don't. most people don't have watches generally unless they're eye watches. Or, yes, a smart watch and then the same yeah. issue. Watch, yeah. Mm-hmm. But still, um, a normal watch that's just a watch and doesn't do anything else would still keep time for quite some time, yes. so to speak. And so would um, certain clocks on walls, mm-hmm. um, especially little the dinky battery-operated ones that people have sitting in their homes, mm-hmm. travel clocks, they last for years. So maybe it wouldn't. They wouldn't lose time. But then again, who has time to find a clock? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess also I don't. I don't wear a watch. Um, I don't have any clocks in my house mm-hmm. except on the microwave. So mm. I never actually thought about just yeah battery powered clocks. So you're very you're 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 younger than I am, <laughs> so, which is not, not a handicap. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Can, do you, can you actually read an analog clock? Okay. Yes. Yes. Good. <laughs> I was asked. I like to ask that question because it's it's something that does concern me that someday people may not be able to read handed clocks. Mm. <laughs> they even teach that in school. Do, do they? Don't I, they? I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember school. Yeah. 
there was a watcher and a, and a, and a, and a vampire and something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> it was all that way. Okay, so you say that you're a lover of bad movies. On Zero G, we call the best and worst of that category, yeah, nah, maybe films. They're so bad, oh, they're good. nice. So have you got any particular, I don't know, if favourites are quite mm. word, but... Uh, there's this one, Catwomen of the Moon. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched it. It's, you should, it's wonderful. It's awesome. <laughs> okay. Taking note. Yeah. Taking note. <laughs> what about zombie um, fiction or, or specific zombie movies or television shows? Have any of those inspired you? Um, I've only... I haven't, I haven't exposed myself to a lot of zombie stuff um, because it scares me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes. So I've watched like Short of the Dead. Um, I've read the Walking Dead comics. Mm-hmm. I have fallen very far behind. I'm only um, up to 100. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> no, no, there's so many of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just, I don't know. I haven't really read widely, but I just I just kind of thought it would be cool to do this in Australia because we have so, so much space. Mm. Um, yeah. There's, a, there's quite a few good um, Australian zombie movies. Uh, Cargo, for one, with Martin Freeman. That's mm-hmm. well worth watching. That's a, um, a genre breaker. Uh, recent too, isn't it? Yeah, very, yeah. very recent. Um, there's a low-budget one called Wormwood, which is also quite fun. Mm. Um, I wouldn't call the Mad Max films zombie films, but that is the 40th anniversary this year, so oh. Oh, been really? celebrating that. So let's have a, a track here. I'm segueing away like mad into... Um, I just found this online. Somebody called Georgia Wiggins from The Voice. I'm guessing that's uh, one of those reality TV shows. <laughs> what, are, what are we in for? Um, well, she just sang a song called Zombie. Love it. Yeah. Nice. This is Neil Gaiman in the dangerous alphabet. Zero G comes last. Z waits alone and it's not for a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Very short track there by Georgia Wiggins, Zombie from The Voice, Australia. I don't know. I just thought, oh, we'll go with that. It's got, <laughs> got a sort of certain thematic magic to it. That is a cover, but... Is it a cover? The Cranberries song. I should know that song. Yeah, did you recognise that song? No. Huh. It's a, I'm going to link you to the original. Went over my head. But, and that's strange because my reflexes are so fast. <laughs> Nothing generally goes over my head. Thank you. <laughs> Cut into the galaxy. All right, now um, uh, we're talking to Alison Evans, whose zombie novel Highway Bodies is out in Echo. I've actually not heard of this publisher before. Uh, they're under the Bonnier um, umbrella. Mm-hmm. They've been. This is only the second YA book that they've published. The first one was uh, my other one. They do mostly crime uh, fiction. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Crime and thriller. If I were to go into a bookshop, this would be in the um, in the young adult section, and not in the paranormal romance. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it it does crop up in um, just the general yeah. sci-fi section. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah, but mostly YA. All right, now um, you're also a co-editor of Concrete Queers magazine, mm-hmm. uh, which means that um, you're into zine culture. Yes. Ah, dear to my heart, zine culture. Um, <laughs> Uh, the uh, zine shop in DeGrave Street. That's got to close, hasn't it, because of the subway building? It looks like it, yeah. There's oh. um, petitions to try and reroute the tunnel, which was the original plan, and then they changed the plan to go through DeGrave's subway. So. Sticky Institute. <gasps> yeah. Yes. So hopefully it doesn't happen, but it it may. That would be a, yeah. a blow to... Um, 
zine culture in, in Melbourne. It's resilient, yeah. though. Yeah. It is. And we can, yeah. My, my particular um, habitation of the zine culture is from the 70s, 80s and 90s when we were doing Star Trek fanzines. Yeah, cool. Um, so many of those. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so much fun. I mean, um, that, that the physical aspect of it as opposed to digital, mm. the analogue aspect actually has you walking around tables, putting pages together and stapling them and collating them. and They're made with such love, I think. And yeah. That's why they yeah. survive through, you know, the gentle decline of print media. I think zines stand outside yeah, of that. because they're not about... It's not about money or anything. Yeah. It's just about having some cool time with cool pals. Sharing your cool stuff <laughs> for a little bit of uh, money back, but... Yeah. yeah. Which you then spend on zines. Exactly. <laughs> it's a beautiful cycle. <laughs> it, would, it would be... Probably a really strange thing to do post-apocalyptic. You know? <laughs> like that would be cool. I would be into that. Apocalypse zine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, usually it's all on- online, you know, the bloggers, the last valiant bloggers. Yeah. And they're going yep. out one by one, you know, mm. like Snow Bunny and, and Zookeeper and they all disappear one by one as they get They're attacked. all on YouTube now. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know where those names come from. They're just, they're just handle names. <laughs> Your your next um, uh, novel is called Euphoria Kids. Yes. Is it a genre novel? Uh, It's like magical realism. There you Um, go. Yeah. I was like, magic is cool. Fairies are cool. Let's see (laughs) see what happens. (laughs) So, Alison, if you're not a a big zombie buff in particular, what other aspects of genre fiction are you into? Uh, I like space. I think space space is very cool. Uh Um. Or like uh, Fury Road. Um, that's my favourite movie of all time. Oh, nice. Um, Why? I really like... I like the world building. Like, mm. it's so... I think it's very light but very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, very concise, which I appreciate. There's yeah. one moment in Fury Road um, where they, there's a swamp or a marsh or something like that. And yes. off in the distance you see people walking on stilts. Yeah, who are they? Mm. Yeah. I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> to me, that aspect of the film was was more interesting than the actual plot and the characters but you know but that that world building there first mm. cl- first rate it's very cool okay so um we've talked about uh your zombie novel mm-hmm. um how do you how do you you feel that uh it's been received amongst the <laughs> i was going to say the pack of uh, zombie fans <laughs> um so far everyone has been very nice um Two of my favourite um, Australian young adult authors, Callie Black and Marley Jane Ward, they they did the cover quotes, mm-hmm. um, and I was I just it's amazing because they're my two favourite writers in Australia, uh-huh. um, and they said really nice things about my book. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at the uh, at the cover, and um, this is actually quite nicely done. You've got the zombies staggering towards the uh, the, the front on the cover. And it's it's um, highly desaturated in terms of the actual colours, mm. and and they're walking out of fire, and yet the street lights are still on, which I like. <laughs> <The> solar <laughs> yeah. powered street lights, that's cool. Who did the cover for this? Or is 
Uh, that was Joe Hunt. She mm-hmm. did the cover for Ida as well. Ah. Um, yeah, so they're, they're like thematically siblings, which I really like. Oh, it's yes, on the cool. website I saw um, the other cover and, they, yeah, there is a thematic sort yeah. of Yeah, and the moon is on both of them, which I think is cool. Love the moon. Actually, this is a very tropic sort of um, – I don't know, I'm just taken by the, the cover of this. The, uh, for for um, young adult books, you've got the title. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the author's name on the spine, and then in the middle there's a little bit of a picture yeah. from the cover. <laughs> that is, you know, I could, I could line I up a really hundred like books like that on my Yeah, on and my you know shelf. right away, oh, there's some staggering that's going to occur. Yes, yeah. love a bit of staggering. Well, well done. <laughs> I, I appreciate a good zombie read, mm. and you've done a good zombie read. Yeah, thank you. Hmm. <laughs> All right, uh, well, uh, thank you very much for coming in, Alison, and yeah, thanks thank to you. Echo Publishing. Uh, yeah, they sound like good people. <laughs> and also Elizabeth McCarthy for helping set up the interview. All right. Um, I hope this becomes a television series. Oh, that would be so Ooh. cool. But a, yeah. good one. <laughs> yeah. but a good one. Maybe a Netflix one or something that like would, that. Yeah. yeah. I would like that a lot. All right. Now uh, we are going to play a, another zombie-related track. Well, apocalyptic at least. Um, I'm really taken with the music of um, Janelle Monet. <gasps> And this I'm so happy that you're onto her now. <laughs> the Electric Lady is the album, yeah. and it's called Dance Apocalyptic. Hi, I'm George Takei, and I play Admiral Sulu in Star Trek. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G. Admiral? Hey, a guy can dream, can't he? <laughs> yes, you are on Triple R, listening to Zero-G. Thank you so much, Alison Evans, for coming in to discuss highway bodies. Um... Yeah, so check it out, Echo Publishing. Yes, um, we are Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are back in the studio talking about... <laughs> I might let you lead on this, but we'll, um, I'll just tell you that we played Janelle Monet's Dance Apocalyptic from The Electric Lady. Nice, excellent. Yes, so I thought what we might do is this is something that was sort of on my radar... And then popped up again, obviously, because Netflix knows what I like, and it showed it to me. Um, the Carmen Sandiego TV series that Netflix has done. Is it just called that? So, yes, it's just called Carmen Sandiego. I did notice that the episodes, I think the first one is called Becoming Carmen Sandiego, parts one and two. So there's been a, a couple of images around that. But technically it is just called Carmen Sandiego. And it is obviously one of those nostalgia gets. So they've greenlit this and made this based on the very popular game and then tv series which occurred around 80s and 90s Uh and so basically it was a very educational based thing um let's let's take you back to that time so i think it's originally started as a video game which was released by broder bund I've butchered that. Broderbund. So it was edu- it was meant to be educational. So the whole vibe of where in the world is Carmen San Diego, which is what I knew it as when I played the game. You would go to different you'd be following and looking for this character called Carmen San Diego, and you'd have to try to and because you were sort of engaging with it in this way that you had to go to different areas of the world to using different clues to find out where you wanted to fly to to keep trying to track her down. So you meant to learn a bit about different countries, also ah. history, things like that. So that's kind of incorporated all of that. It was very much based around education first. But I do remember quite enjoying... I mean, I was a big nerd. So I do remember quite enjoying the game. But it's fairly simple. So 
it's just very much based around you given some clues and based on those you have to decide which location out of some options um i think there's been a couple of iterations of the game and then they also morphed this into a tv series so there's been a couple there was one where in time there was one uh I think they did a Where in the World one. So I haven't actually watched any of those. Have you seen any of the old material? Yeah, I, I can remember watching the cartoon, the Carmen cartoon, a couple of times. Mm. Um, and very much, I was very much aware at the time that I was getting a geography lesson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't really mask that. It's all, no. it's all very much book learning wrapped up in a gamified TV kind of package. Yeah. Um, so I remember she had a great look going with this hat. Yes, absolutely yeah. iconic. And I think that's part of the, I think, really um, clear draw that over time you kind of recognise that, even though the styles have changed. So this animation is kind of done in a bit of, I don't know how to describe it, the style, um, but it's very fun. So I think approaching this. So I had heard that they were making a series. I was very interested in it because I was like, mm, I wonder how they're going to do this. Also because I hadn't had any exposure to how they've done it for TV before. Mm-hmm. But I thought I'd check it out. So Gina Rodriguez does the voice of the title character, Carmen Sandiego. We probably most recently saw her as one of the doomed team to head into the <laughs> Dome in Annihilation. She did a brilliant job in that film. I think she was she was outstanding. And there is also another sort of key character that's on the Carmen Sandiego team called The Player, and that's played by, voiced by Finn Wolfhard, and he is from, obviously, Stranger Things and It as well. Ah. Um, and so this TV series is created by Dwayne Capizzi, um, and in addition to sort of your key stars are Gina Rodriguez and Finn Wolfhard, but there's sort of some other characters that make an appearance. I don't really know any of the other act voice actors, but pretty much, let's have a look here. All right, so it starts out very much the first two episodes are kind of this origin story. Mm-hmm. So I, I was right away, I was like, okay, great. So we're really starting from the start here. And I think from what I understand, a lot of the um, way they've approached this is slightly different in that Carmen is very much a good guy here and she's kind of trying to keep this organisation vile, V-I-L-E, on its toes. (laughs) So for those who don't know anything about this, Carmen Sandiego is a professional thief, so there's some thieving. (gasps) And uh, Vile Academy is set up as kind of this school for professional thieves. So that's kind of where we start our story. And it's set in a bit of a flashback mode. So we get to see some cool Carmen Now stuff. And then we get a little bit of a flashback. And then we kind of, at the end of the second episode, we're like, okay, great. So this is this is our story. Carmen is trying to outwit this organization with the help of teen hacker, the player, voiced by Finn Wolfhard. Overall, I think I've only watched the first two episodes because I just kind of wanted to get a feel. I wasn't really sure at first how it was going to do it because it still looks quite educational. They have these little maps. They throw in little uh, lines that are quite obviously meant to get you to start learning a bit about the geography of where these places are and, you know, kind of the history and culture, Um, but not in a heavy-handed way. I think it's just kind of that's the origin of the concept. But it's really fun. Like, I think it reminds me a lot of kind of, old school 
kind of the animation they might use for noiry kind of stuff, lots oh. of angles and and things, and kind of very bright though. So the colors are really amazing. I think obviously it really highlights her kind of her red vibe that she's she's rocking, and she's obviously quite young. So this is one of the things too is that it starts off in this academy where they're all quite young, and even now she's still obviously I'm not sure what age she's meant to be, but she's young, which I think is obviously why they're trying to appeal to kind of viewers of, you know, teens or younger. Is she is she showing signs of re- being redeemed from being a crim? Oh, she's absolutely, <laughs> in the course of the two episodes, you are absolutely on her side. She's Spoilers. Well, <laughs> but I think that's okay. Yeah. Um, it's kind of set up to very much be, it's much more from her perspective, um, I think previous iterations have really been more of a chasing her type of thing, whereas this is really built around her as a character. Mm-hmm. And I think they've done that really beautifully in the first couple of episodes and also setting up a bit of a um, a conflict, I suppose, or two opposing sides. It's all very uh, predictable, I guess is the word, formulaic, but it felt fresh to me. Like it still felt quite interesting and I will definitely keep watching the rest of the series Mm. so that's all you can watch that on Netflix at the moment so it's streaming on there it's just called Carmen Sandiego and it's about 10 episodes or something yeah so it's sort of um, released I think it's about 10 there's more so I'm just having a look now and they've done quite a few more episodes but because it's animated I suppose Um, first season is a total of I've seen people costuming as Carmen at conventions. I can't remember where in the world I saw it, though. (laughs) That is actually a really great cosplay idea, I think. Mm. So, yeah, check it out. So, professional thieving, bit of educational geography on the side. You can actually do Where's Wally and Carmen (gasps) together. That would be quite a nice (laughs) couple's, like, costume, I think. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, I think everything always comes back to some good... uh, And, you know, it's a lot of fun, too. They talk a lot about capers and planning high, so it's got kind of all of those elements to it. And... Yeah, I'm definitely excited to keep watching some more of this. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, they're short episodes. I think they're like the 20 minutes or whatever. What sort Very of audience palatable. is it pitched at? Well, this is the thing is I think it's quite clearly pitched at a younger audience. Yeah. But I think there's enough here for people who just want some light fun watching. Okay. Um, I certainly enjoyed it quite a bit. And I think it's something that would be nice just to have as a palate cleanser, you know, when you, you're done watching all your murder documentaries or whatever. You've, you've been punished <laughs> enough by... <laughs> exactly, by the severe violence and some of the other. And, you know, there's a lot of good content right now, but a lot of it makes me quite anxious. Right up until the Punisher goes after Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> I, my money's on Carmen. Yeah, mine too. She wears a better hat. Absolutely. <laughs> And, yeah, I actually think it's quite a sweet series. I'll report back again possibly once I've had a chance to watch a bit more. What's your vibe on it? Do you think you're interested in checking it out? I or? have downloaded two episodes of it, mm-hmm. if, which is a two-parter, I think, the yes, first and the second. the origin story episodes. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. Yep. Yeah. I think, I mean, this is the thing. I think it's fun. It's very low effort, I think, to get into. Yeah. Um, at first I was, yeah, I wasn't sure, but it becomes quickly clear what they're building. Mm. Um. And I think it'll play out the way you expect it to play out, but it'll be pretty fun. So, okay. yeah. Netflix, well, Netflix yeah. Carmen Sandiego. Give it a crack. A little animated series based around the Carmen Sandiego lore. The I legend. Yeah. yeah. I do have, like, a little track that I thought I would play. Yeah. So this is just Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego by The Vineyard Sound. So let's take a listen to that. 
This is Kim Stanley Robinson, author of Red Mars, Green Mars, and Blue Mars. You're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. What were we hearing then? So that was Where in the World is Carmen San Diego by the Vineyard Sound. A little a cappella for you. Hmm. We're just ashtick ash, ash on, uh, on, the, on the musical interludes. Uh, actually, it's quite good. We were thinking about a cappella man. Yeah. I mean, he, sings he, to fish. He definitely needs a backup group. Like, so he needs some, you know, a gang, a team yeah. to provide harmonies and. Fighting skills. Josie and the Pussycats, or yeah. perhaps, um, you know. Um, the group Rockapella, which was an a cappella vocal group, was instrumental in the uh, Where in the World is Carmen San Diego television game show. Mm. So I think they on the that new one, they're sense. riffing off that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Now, uh, we were talking about um, some more television shows here, and again, a Netflix one. It's just that season, really. Yeah. Um, I am really going to miss... The, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt series. Yeah, you've loved that one. Oh, I love that. It's fast-talking stream of unconsciousness, subterranean surrealism, to be alliterative there. Uh, there's a line from one, one of the characters, Titus uh, Andromedon, the eternally hopeful, aspirational Broadway actor, when torn between being in The Lion King and being dramatic at his former boyfriend's wedding. He says, I can't be in two places at once. Not like that vampire guy who jumps through time. And Kimmy Schmidt says, even I know it's Bacula. Ta-da. <laughs> Scott Bacula does rhyme with Dracula, admittedly. And that moment in Kimmy Schmidt when you see John Burnfall, the Punisher, <laughs> undercover as an Israeli private investigator, flirting with Titus. <laughs> and you realise that this totally fits into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Because Titus once auditioned for an alternative universe Spider-Man on Broadway mm-hmm. <laughs> in a Spider-Verse way and also played Charlie Cox's apartment-building doorman in Netflix's Daredevil uh. in the Kimmy Schmidt show. It's one of the roles he mentions. Oh my God. And it's, it's going to be his big breaky things, you know, MCU, but it's in season four of Daredevil. <laughs> oh, dear. And I, and I realised that if um, if Kimmy and her subterranean sisters, who are imprisoned by John Hamm, mm. that's the whole you know mo of this series. If they're the mole women, that that means that John Hamm is the mole man. So <laughs> there's so much meta connections within the show. And speaking of Star Trek actors, <laughs> Zachary Quinto's um, Kimmy Schmidt character reveals in one of the penultimate episodes uh, of the show, maybe even the last one, that he's actually, spoiler, blind and has been blind all the time. And he has been getting around by echolocating like a dolphin. (laughs) So they they show you all of the scenes that he's been in again and and, uh, dub over a... (laughs) It's just so non-sequitur, illogical, just thrown in there. See, I'm going to really miss that show. They do actually bring it into a landing at the end of the fourth season. Oh, that's good. Um, It's a strange landing, but I would not expect anything less. So we do get payoffs for Titus's actor character and his boyfriend and also um, Kimmy's character is finally successful. It's something very odd indeed. Uh, Actually, she tries to make some money out of a mole woman women 
porn site, basically. <laughs> and she makes $10 because no one's buying that. <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> People buy anything. Yeah, but not that. And there's also um, a payoff for the uh, for her um, agent. Mm. So... Um, so you feel satisfied? Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Krakowski, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, Jane K- Krakowski. Is that her right name? Jane. Yeah. Yeah, and... and um, that, that actually is a good payoff too, which is what you need for an agent. Not 10% of a payoff, but a full 100% payoff. Uh, and, of course, her landlady, she gets her very strange <laughs> sort of four years later mm. kind of thing that they do oh, just to okay. show you where they all are. Right, right. Yeah. The old four years later. Yeah. And I'm really sad about it. I, I, have the, I, have yeah. these, I get these sort of passions for um, comedies. Um, certain ones is that, and you can tell a lot of the ones I like are like fast talking wisecracking mm. smart ass shows <laughs> so you know you, you would not be surprised to hear that I'm a Frasier person oh, Frasier. Uh, or a Barney Miller person going back even further mm. um uh, you know, Brooklyn Nine Nine. I'm glad that's. Oh yes, it's back too. Resurrect Nine Nine, and also um, at the moment, uh, the Good Place. Oh yeah, which is just all clever, very clever. Dropped a whole bunch of episodes too. Thanks. Um, so I, I won't, I'm not going to look for a new one yet because I've still got um, those two up my sleeve. But I'm taking suggestions <laughs> for another wisecracking uh, yeah, hole I, filler. I can't be. I can't be without them. So thank you, Kimmy. I've really enjoyed those stories. Tina Fey rocks, oh, yeah. 30 rocks, but, yeah. So she's done that, that whole thing with this one again, and uh, she's not the only creator of that. But, wow, I'm so impressed by that show. All right, now, um, I have been slogging through The Punisher. Yes, how's it going? <sighs> oh. You just keep your head down, Big your side. arms up, and you take the hits as you uh. go. No, no, it's good. Yeah. It's good. Um, Big grim. We've got a, a new character he's looking after. He's become like a surrogate parent to a teenage girl called Amy mm-hmm. um, who gets – and this is a micro-spoiler here. She gets really upset when she shoots a person for the first time, Ooh. as you do. And, 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 and the Punisher's trying – you know, Frank Castle is all heart. He's yeah. got good parenting skills. He's going, look at me, look at me, look at me. You're not – you know, you're upset because you just shot someone for the first time, mm. but you didn't kill him. Bang, I killed him. <laughs> I'm thinking, is that a joke? It could be. It's a Punisher sense of humour. And, um, yeah, Frank is actually really conflicted in this this second season because he's gone through the vengeance for his family mm. story. There are echoes of that in this one, but there's okay. other things going on and he's he's kind of trying to find his place in the world again. Oh, it's not a very good place. No. You know. Uh, Curtis, the, um, the veteran's um, counsellor, mm-hmm. um, is, is a very strong supporting character in this one. Um, providing that everyman voice that we need in these kinds of shows. He's very essential to that. Um, also, uh, <laughs> he's one of the few living friends of Frank Castle. <laughs> so We've also got the um, Madani, the Homeland Security agent from the first season brought back, trying to work through her issues. Mm. Now, it's like everything to do with the Punisher, they've all got... They've all been damaged as they go along. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a psychiatrist who's also damaged goods, basically, um, with Billy Russo being her patient. Billy Russo was Frank Castle's friend from the first season who killed his family. God. Good friend. <laughs> Uh, and he now is the supervillain Jigsaw. Oh. Uh, and Anything he's, like Saw Jigsaw? 
A little bit in the face, uh, but not so much in the tactics. Sure. Um, but he's they've made him into a, a kind of partially sympathetic character because of what's happened to him. He's lost his memory. Right. So is he, he is kind of a, a broken blank slate. Mm, 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 mm. And that turns the tables a bit, you know. Okay. And, I, and I kind of that was good too. There's a, a, a new villain, um, uh, John Pilgrim from the comic books, uh, a little bit different. Of course, most of these characters do end up being different in the television show. Um, and he's one of those um, deadpan religious preacher nuts, basically. Um, it's a bit of a cookie-cutter character. Actually, something I have seen from um, Preacher. There's a very couple of similar characters in that. Or indeed, um, uh, did a Fargo as well, mm. the series. Uh, in fact, he reminds me of one. Never mind, that's going away into... The way he looks, <laughs> uh, and there's some good stuff going on with that too. I think they really they they lost me a bit when they had the psychiatrist develop a relationship with Billy Russo. That is mm-hmm. a spoiler, um, but you could see it coming. Sure, but it does echo Madani's one from the first season. And you look at this guy, what is it with you? <laughs> Are you like Captain Kirk or something? I don't know. Um, he's a damaged guy, so maybe. And she's a psychiatrist, so I can actually see that maybe. It's a bit yeah, of a cliche, it's though. Still, and it's know. also like, yeah. Yeah, it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's in the bucket of things that shouldn't happen. Yeah, but it's the Punisher, so lots of wrong things happen. And it's kind of funny because he starts out this season just blowing into a small town as he's trying to um, get away from New York. Uh, he's just. You know, he hooks up with a waitress from the bath and things are going all right for Frank in terms of... Briefly. Very, so, so very briefly. Um, I don't think it's as strong a season as the first one, Mm -hmm. possibly, because the origin stories are often quite strong. Yeah. Uh, And... And I know that they're likely to not get a third season on Netflix. I would be... Thoroughly surprised if they did. Yeah. Uh, and I'm hoping when Disney takes all these things back, Marvel, mm. um, it would be nice if they could get some some of these people back because I really think John is a great Punisher. Yeah. He's one of the best I've seen, partly because the long form allows you to tell more of a story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I tell you what, they are really dead set, quite literally, in exploring the consequences of violence mm. and the implications of it. So I don't feel like it's just entirely gratuitous in, <laughs> in spite of the uh, fight with um, weights in the gymnasium. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, the poten- yeah, you're just thinking, yes, uh, the potential there is, well, let's not go there. But they did. <laughs> All right, so that's The Punisher Season 2 on Netflix at the moment. And the... Um, the mayhem continues. Gracious. Uh, so let's have a nice track from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> the uh, the cover title song, but by a uh, cover version of the uh, main title song by the Commercial Breakers. This is Raymond D. Feist, the man who started the Rift War. Mm, will it help if I say I'm sorry? Zero G. It's totally lacking in gravity. Yeah, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt cover version by the Commercial Brothers. Damn it. I'm going to miss that show. All right, uh, another one again on Netflix. Gosh, guys, there's all so many dropping at the moment. Um, the new series of Discovery, we've talked a bit about it before on the show. Mm-hmm. I'm three episodes in. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. Uh, last week's episode was about um, the Klingons again. I just love a good Klingon episode. Uh, and I also bring back... Um, uh, Michelle Yeoh's character of uh, Emperor Giorgio, um, although she's pretending to be the normal universe um, 
Captain Giorgio. <laughs> <laughs> Not very hard, difficult to uh, to be covert in her range, but she's still obviously channeling the Mirrorverse evil, deliciously yes. evil character that we all know and love to hate. Uh, yeah, there's some some great episodes here. I feel like they've really hit their stride. The second one in particular was all about the Star Trek non-interference prime directive mm-hmm. and a jolly good story it was. Uh, and as I said, last night's episode was about the Klingons. They've got this meta arc where they're trying to find Mr. Spock. Right. Well, actually, they don't They don't have to search for Spock. They know where he is. He's locked himself up in, a, in a, an asylum in a medical facility, driven illogical by an encounter with the mysterious unknown force of this season, the Red Angel. Uh, which has some um, implications for his relationship with his estranged sister, <laughs> Michael Burnham, and the new temporary captain of the Discovery, Christopher Pike, from the Star Trek Enterprise, uh, the not the Enterprise series, but the original Star Trek series, played by uh, Jeffrey Hunter back in the 1960s, now played by Anson Mount, and he's a really fine actor, um, giving some del- delicious lines actually for this series. They jump out of um, out of space warp, and he's looking at the view screen. He says, "I was promised. They said there'd be red things. Where are my red things? You know." There's, <laughs> He's just he's just playing the role perfectly. And I saw this um, little musical number for Star Trek uh, advertising, um, you know, carpool karaoke. Yeah. Yeah, well, four of the actors from Star Trek Discovery are on that. Oh. And they did this little musical number, if I can make it work here, and they're singing a, so- a filk song um, based upon a song from Rent. Oh. So this is um, like... Uh, Tilly and Stamis and Saro and Michael Berman, it's the character names, all singing this Rent song. Guess who's coming to Dinar? <laughs> I'm Robert Trevor. I play Salmonius, the merchant prince in Hercules, the legendary journeys, and Xena warrior princess. You're listening to 3 FM, the station of the gods. Ah, Zeus! Hey, hey, go easy with that lightning! Sheesh! Some of those. Some of those people can sing. <laughs> Actually, they're all, they're all pretty good. I mean, they're twinged a little, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not one to talk. I actually think Star Trek musical, their, their time has come. That's to advertise carpool karaoke, but, you know, Buffy, Xena, Supernatural, they've I all done it. Star Trek musical. Yeah. Uh, and we've had, you know, it's actually a trope in uh, television shows. Doesn't mm. always mean you've jumped the shark. No. Sometimes it means you've jumped the F sharp. But they've all done it, and it works to varying degrees. I mean, the Buffy musical is just gold. It's and such a – and it's – the thing is, it's functional. Like, mm. it moves the story forward, and a lot of things – like, it's got a reason behind it. It's not just thrown in there, like <laughs> Riverdale. <laughs> just throws oh, yes, stuff Riverdale in. has a musical episode, doesn't oh, they've it? They've got all kinds of crazy things that are, suddenly everyone well, – anyway. Supernatural has a musical episode that's based upon um, a bunch of school kids – putting on a musical Ah. about Supernatural based upon the books that somebody's written in the universe. Interesting. It's it's a good reason for singing. (laughs) You know, Buffy, it was um, sorcery, basically. But, like, used for good good measure. Yes. I actually think a a Star Trek musical would have worked well in the next generation sort of era. Yeah. You know, deck episode. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe the crew doing some recreational activity. They all put a, let's do a show, says somebody. That would have fit in nicely, I think. It would. I could see it happening on the Orville. 
Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Easily. And the, and the trope there, they just go into the uh, – these aliens communicate in song. So, exactly. Yeah. Then we're done. Done and dusted. That's it. Yeah. Exposition taken care of. Or they could even do the uh, the thing that Classic Trek used to do. They could find a world where um, a Union starship has left behind an archive of musicals. Oh. And their development has been influenced by that. I love how it's. There's always like, oh, it just we got influenced at some stage. That's why we're. There's a lot of ones in classic Trek like that. We're the way we are. Yeah, you know. So I, I think that we, the time has come for a Star Trek space opera. They could actually yeah. just go there boldly too. Well, that's about it for zero G for today. That's um, kind of been fun. Yeah, all yeah. kinds of little tidbits and things. Yeah, it often is. <laughs> I think next week, uh, I reckon we ought to have a crack at this um, uh, Alita Battle Angel, or oh, Battle Angel Alita. Yes. I, Based on an, an, a, a, a manga, yes. which was in a, a short um, anime. I just, I don't understand why the effects have been done the way they have been done, but I haven't watched it, so mm. I'm game. Mm. So we'll have a look at that next week, I reckon. Yep. Uh, it's 14th, yeah, it's coming up. All right, so um, our track for today for Mr Bowie is uh, We Are The Dead from David Bowie, Diamond Dogs. And uh, I think I see Joe Brenetic here. Welcome back, Joe, back. with Astral Glamour. Coming up next. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Megan. You have been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.